Welcome to Real Work, Real Life, where we talk to real people about what they do for work and what that means for their lives. Today, I'm talking with Julie, a fisheries biologist. Julie has both a master's degree in marine biology and a PhD in marine science. One aspect about that that we cover is how advanced degrees in sciences are typically well-funded, so you're likely to be paid to do them rather than paying for them, as is the case in many other postgraduate degrees. The trade-off is that compensation is fairly low for the level of education required. That said, Julie's job in fishery seems to have a great balance of hands-on work, adventure, and the stability of a full-time professional job, which can be a tough balance to find in many professions. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining me, Julie. Oh, thank you, Emily. I'm really excited to talk about the work that I do. Great. So what do you do for work? Um, so I am a fisheries biologist. That is so cool. So could you just give me an elevator pitch of what your job actually does? My job is to collect information about a variety of fish species that live in the ocean and the marine environment off of the southeastern United States with the overall goal of being able to best manage those fisheries. So what that means is that we collect the information about the fish and then hand it over to other people to make the decisions about how many fish people are going to be able to catch based on how many there are in the ocean. What interested you about it initially? So I've always been sort of an ocean kid. Like I always really, really loved the ocean and want to be wanted to be by the ocean all the time, even though I grew up in the Midwest. So when I got older and I became an adult and I still, you know, wanted to be by the ocean, I started doing things in marine science and marine biology. I was also very, very interested in biology. And one of the things that I learned relatively early on doing some different internships was that science for the sake of science can be a little bit boring, honestly. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> tedium involved in science, uh, but but the answers are cool, right? But when I learned about it, when I fell into fisheries, it was an epiphany where the answers are cool and they're basically being applied immediately. This information that we're collecting and all this data that we're gathering is going directly into decision making on a, at a very fast pace. You know, within a year or so, the information that I collect could be included in decision making about how many red snapper you might be able to keep as a fisher. So to me, that really adds a lot of value to, you know, what I'm doing day to day as a real boon for society. Absolutely. So to have the job that you have now, what sort of education or certifications were required? My current job, I actually have a PhD in marine science, but I've been working in fisheries biology since long before I got my PhD. Um, I learned about fisheries actually doing a master's program in marine biology, and that was sort of where I fell in love with it and just wanted to continue doing it. So I got a, a master's degree in marine biology, learned about fisheries. After that, I uh, worked in fisheries for about 10 years between being a professional biologist and then going back to school to get my PhD. And now I have a job that's sort of dependent on 
having that PhD and kind of overseeing a lot of the work and doing a lot of the data analysis and data preparation in order to get those numbers to the people that are going to make decisions. Gotcha. So there are jobs at different levels of education, but to keep moving up, you need to get to that PhD level at some point. Generally, yes. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how much all the undergrad, master's, PhD cost? That's a really, really good question. And actually, one of the things that I vividly remember from undergraduate was mentors of mine letting me know that to get an advanced degree in science, you honestly can get paid to do it and you should not be paying under any circumstances. And there are, you know, there are degrees in which you do have to pay for the scientific degree or whatever, but there are also avenues to get paid as a research associate and a research assistant throughout that process or have a job where the job is paying for it or something like that and to be able to actually support yourself. So that was my experience during both the master's and the PhD was I was paid throughout the process as a research assistant, a graduate research assistant. And of course, I was not making very much money, but it was enough to to basically live on. That's great. It's very so much in advanced degrees, whether you're going to be, you know, absolutely saddled with debt. And then it's good to know that there's paths like that too, that you can mostly support yourself as you get through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is also a field where the wages are not particularly high when you Mm -hmm. get out. And so it's, I find it to be pretty important, honestly, to not be racking up a lot of debt because you know that that isn't something that's feasible to be able to you know, pay off in, in a relatively short amount of time. So th- let's get into that then. Uh, what do you make now and what do your other benefits look like? PTO, retirement, leave, stuff like that. Yeah. So I currently work for a state government and state governments, especially in the region of the country that I live in, do not pay particularly well. I make about $55,000 a year. We do have paid time off that's accrued over the the course of the year. We do get uh, health and dental insurance. Um, we have a retirement program, all those, you know, all of those good things. Those are, uh, those are nice. Our state recently did approve, the legislature approved a short amount of paid parental leave. So that's, you know, inching toward <laughs> so, so slowly yeah, uh, toward that sort of benefit as well. For retirement, would you have like a state pension retirement or is it something like a 401k that you contribute to and it's matched in some way? So in this region, you generally have the choice. Um, they try to make the 401k as attractive as possible because of course the state pension takes many years to vest and the uh, 401k type is sort of a, here you go, here's your money. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's no downside to leaving quickly once when you're in the 401k type plan and that I've worked for two different state governments. And honestly, that's what I've chosen both times mm-hmm. in the long run. Who knows how that's going to do for me, but that's, that's what I've chosen. It's kind of a gamble either way, I think. Right. So what can people expect to make starting out? And do you have a sense of what a high range for compensation is in your job? So there are people that work in this field that work for contracting companies and for the federal government. And their pay scale is actually 
probably at least 20 to 30 percent higher than what state governments are in my region are providing. And so it really depends on where you get your foot in the door, to be totally honest. As a, you know, fresh out of undergrad, if you wanted to become a biologist for a state in this region, you're probably looking at maybe $30,000 a year. Mm -hmm. That feels low for the amount of uh, education required in all these roles. Yeah, honestly, honestly, it, it definitely is. I mean, I feel like we are somewhere similar to, you know, teaching or other sort of almost care professions. Right. Where you're starting rather low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So location, thinking about this, this is kind of a silly question, but are there particular hubs for this kind of work? I'm assuming the hubs are all along the coast, but w- would you say there's a particular place that people in your field, you know, these are the top five places you'd move, for example? That's a really good question. There are several hubs all all along the coast. And my experience actually has been that a lot of different agencies and universities sort of group up in the same town, right? Mm -hmm. So, but there are several of them throughout all along the coast. I don't think that there's any one that's, you know, particularly better than others. There's Seattle, there's sort of the central coast of California, there's a couple in New England, there's, you know, a few in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. It just, it just really depends. Uh, They are definitely all coastal, which again, which also ups your uh, cost of living. Right. This is slightly off topic from what I do, but the hub for U.S. Antarctic research is located in Colorado. Whoa. So (laughs) why, you know, (laughs) I don't actually have any idea. I mean, it's no closer or it's no farther from Antarctica than any place else in the country, really. Sure, sure. Uh, You know, they're leaving from Chile and and New Zealand, but. Is that, is Antarctic, you know, fisheries research an option for you at some point? Or is that, (laughs) sounds pretty Uh, cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I definitely work in the U.S. fisheries realm. You know, most of the data that we collect is, related to fisheries that are managed by the U.S. government. You know, any fisheries that occur around Antarctica, those are going to be international in nature and multi-governmental and all this kinds of stuff. I did actually see a headline the other day, which I didn't look closely into, about um, a high seas treaty. So there might be some amount of intergovernmental, you know, more intergovernmental fisheries management where they're going to need these types of data. But I really have no idea that how that's going to develop. So what are your hours like? What is your work-life balance like? Do you find that there are a lot of schedule options in the field, kind of general flexibility around remote work hours? Yeah, I feel like it depends relatively heavily. And my current job is what I'm going to speak to. But The group that I work with right now, because we are working 20 to 50 miles offshore, we are really only going out during certain seasons of the year. So our sampling season runs from April to October, and we have a few research vessels that we are consistently using, and we have about 25 or 30 individual scientists who are all sort of rotating through those vessels. So during that April to October time period, I'm going to be expected to be at sea 
for a total of somewhere between 30 and 40 days. Whoa. Like in one stretch? No, not one stretch. So sort of maybe a week at a time, you know, five days here, seven days there, come back for a few weeks, uh, back and forth throughout that, throughout that period. In the sort of off season, that's when we're working kind of regular desk job sorts of hours, you know, <laughs> the nine to five kind of time, you know, just kind of taking a breather from all that, all that work out on the water. When you're not on the water, do you feel like you have the flexibility you need to do stuff like appointments and, you know, other life related things, or is it pretty set hours? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely you know very flexible in terms of taking time off to get to the doctor, get your kids to the doctor, if they're sick, anything like that. That's not a problem. And even you know, sort of during the sampling season, it's not like you have to be on call the entire time. I just got my schedule for that entire time. And I know now what weeks I'm supposed to be on call and what weeks I'm not on call. You know, we have travel scheduled during the summer, we have various things scheduled. And so in a group this large, that's definitely a boon to, you know, have a variety of people who can all cover those same types of jobs on the water. Cool. So I would love to hear about your average day. And I think especially I'd love to hear about your average day when you're at sea. Yeah. An average day at sea can be pretty demanding and also pretty exciting. So we have for our main survey, we're working on a vessel that's about 120 feet long. We have, I think there are six professional crew who are responsible for you know, driving the boat and keeping the boat safe, keeping the engines going, feeding us. We actually have a a person whose entire job is to cook for everybody that's on the boat. Excellent. (laughs) Right. We don't have to cover any of that stuff on our, uh, on a lot of our research cruises. If I were serving a scientist on a research cruise, you know, in a couple of months when I'm going to go, I would probably be getting up before six o'clock in the morning, having my breakfast, and then coming on to watch around six six a.m. Checking in, finding out sort of where we are in the ocean. You never know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and what types of gear we're going to be deploying. Our main gear is a very large trap. It's about six feet tall and probably five feet wide. We're trapping the fish in there so that we can get information about how many there are. We also put video cameras onto them. So we'd be getting those gears ready. We'd be putting our video cameras that are all charged up onto our traps. We'd be getting out some stinky, stinky, stinky bait (laughs) that had been thawing overnight, uh, putting those inside the traps to get the fish to come to come on over and prepping all of that. Then probably by around seven, we'd be getting to our first location. Um, And we have one person who's serving as the chief scientist on that trip, telling everybody where exactly we're going to put those traps on the bottom. So that person and the captain would be driving us over to those stations. Uh, We get to the station, we attach floats to the end of a long piece of rope so that you can get all these pieces of gear back onto the boat. And then when you're at your spot, you throw those uh, traps over into the water and let them sit there doing their thing for about an hour and a half and then uh, bring them back up onto the boat, see what you got and do it all over again. Generally, each scientist is on watch for 12 hours. So 
If you're starting at 6 a.m., you're going to expect to be working until 6 p.m., of course, with a lunch break and, you know, some downtime in there. But generally, you're working from 6 to 6, and then you're off and can take a shower, take a breather, go to bed and do it all over again. That sounds really cool. And also hard work. It is. It's definitely it's very, very hard work, but also you know, rewarding in the moment and also rewarding in the long term. Mm -hmm. So how does the work change as you progress in your career? It sounds like you're still doing a lot of hands-on work. Do you envision that continuing that way throughout your career or do you think it will morph into, into a different thing as you progress? So that's actually one of the things that drew me to the job that I do currently was that the people sort of at the top of the pyramid or whatever uh, still are doing a lot of that hands-on work as well. Um, there are a lot of different contexts in which you basically work yourself out of that kind of field work job. I've been in those places, you know, where my entire job was only summarizing the data and analyzing the data and and that kind of um, thing and, and didn't get to go and do kind of the, the hands-on parts anymore. So it's possible for it to go either way, honestly. Which could be the right thing for some people at certain parts of their lives, but it's nice that you have the option to keep doing the work that you enjoy for your whole career. Right. Absolutely. What kind of personality do you think would do well in this job? You know, honestly, I think there are a lot of different types of personalities that might do pretty well. I think you just have to have a personality that can put up with a variety of sort of, I don't know, inconveniences. <laughs> <laughs> fair. Easy going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's funny because in general, I don't necessarily think of myself as a particularly easygoing person. <laughs> so fair. with a, a love of the ocean and a love of being on boats that really sort of overrules a lot of my, I don't know, uptightness, I guess. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, that's probably a big part of it, right? Wanting to be on the ocean, wanting to be on boats, I, a little bit of adventurousness, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But also, you know, you also have to balance that out obviously with, you know, a real attention to detail because we're not just out there having a good time. We're out there having a good time while also providing very important pieces of information that if you mess it up, you know, that is going to have implications for potentially years to come, you know, on a wide variety of people. So you really do have to be careful about what you're doing while you're doing what you love, I guess. Yeah, there's a balance, certainly. Mm -hmm. How do you view the prospects in this job? I think in terms of the long term, there probably is room. I think I think one of the things that sort of hampers this entire field, sort of, especially in the marine realm, is that it can look pretty sexy from the outside, right? <laughs> and so, right. so they can get away with paying you very low because, well, there's just going to be somebody else that comes along who wants to do it because it looks so cool. But I do think that overall jobs in the environmental sciences realm are starting to get more recognition for how extremely important they're going to be going forward Sure, and how they're going to need to be paid as professionals. And you know, to really keep a solid workforce, you're really going to have to pay these people comparable wage to what they could get boxing at Amazon or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> that seems like a good baseline if you have a PhD. 
Yeah. So I, I do sort of have hope that overall the field will continue to continue and also that it will continue to, I don't know, be the profession that it should be really. What are some things you love about your job that you think people might not know? I mean, I think I've sort of already talked about some of the things that I really, really love about the job. First of all, it's science that's applied. And those that combination to me is just really magical that not only do I get to play around and do science, but I also know that that's going into important decision making that's going to affect people very soon. I love the part of my job where I get to go out on the ocean and be out there uh, holding fish and just being on a boat. And those are definitely my top loves about this job. Similarly, but on the other hand, is there anything that's tough about it that you either didn't expect at all or you didn't anticipate how challenging it would be? I mean, there are obviously tough aspects to this work. Working for state governments is not always the most pleasant experience. Is that because of funding, would you say? Yeah, primarily because of funding, because of potential precarity. Sure, there's some political aspects to it unexpectedly, yeah. Often the environmental sciences are able to be insulated significantly from from much of the politics, but that can be challenging. And that's definitely something that I would not have anticipated, but having been in the field long enough, I realized that it really it can affect you and it, it can be quite challenging. I mean, other challenges obviously involve getting along with the variety of people that you are going to be stuck with on a boat for a week or, sure. you know, whatever at a time, you know, having to quite literally put your life in the hands of other people who, who you may not know very well. Mm-hmm. And of course, having a family, if you're going to be gone for a week at a time, you got to have somebody else to take care of the kids. So yeah, finding that balance there for sure. Mm-hmm. If you could start over today, would you still enter this field? And if you weren't doing this, what might you be doing? Do you think? I definitely think that I I have no regrets about this path. I think that that I'm constantly happy that I found this path as a way forward in you know marine biology and marine sciences. And I think that I would do it all over again. Do you have a, a secret dream job, something you would <laughs> love, even if it's not very realistic? I have had various points where I have sort of wanted to open some kind of a marine biology camp or something like that and taking families or kids out uh, on the water. I have worked at those types of places before, but to make one that was my own, I've definitely had that dream over time. That's an amazing dream. I wonder in reality, I'm sure there's lots of challenges to it, but it's a nice oh, I'm to, sure. to dream about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is one piece of advice generally about work that you would give your younger self? Find the work-life balance earlier. Was that about the job for you or was that about your own boundaries? Yeah. Personal boundaries, sort of creating those, those boundaries about how much you're willing to work and not have the job completely define you. I think you can love it without having it define you. Absolutely. Well, those are all the questions I have. Thank you so much for joining me, Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm on working, working, work. I ain't never gonna stop. I'm on working, working, work till the in my head Thanks for joining me. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review on iTunes. That's the best way to help others find the show. If you'd like to be interviewed here or you'd like to hear about a particular type of job, please reach out at realworkreallife at gmail.com.